Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Jen Bloomberg from Next Solutions. I'm Marion Nulevant here in Portland, Oregon. I'm Matt Stein from Working Concept in Austin. And I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston. And today we're talking about how, when, and why to use Jamstack. And we've got a bunch of people on the line here. So first we have Will Brower and Mark Hartwig from Dixon Schwabel. Hello. Hey, how's it going? And then we have Jake Dome from Good Work, also known as Jamstack Jake, apparently now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody. And then we have Sean Swix-Wang from Netlify. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, no, I appreciate everyone coming on. And we're this is kind of going to be a roundtable discussion, but it's it's spurred on by conversation I had with Will. And, and for anyone who doesn't know, Will has the un- unfortunate fact of that he's my brother-in-law so don't don't hold that against him like we're there's there's no blood relation there it's just that we both happen to marry sisters right but he's also in the the same industry and and space and does a whole lot of craft work at Dixon Schwabel and he and Mark and his whole development team, Will leads a team of developers there, are kind of in the middle of looking at this Jamstack thing and deciding whether or not they want to move over to it. And so, Will, if you were out playing nude curve a match in, in Riga, Latvia, and your teammate asked you, hey, what do you, why do you think we should transition to Jamstack? You know, what, what would you say? <laughs> um you know, uh, I would say, you know, if you have a website and, you know, performance has ever been an issue or security has ever been an issue, this is something that helps web developers solve those almost right out of the box once you start putting all the right tools together. Yeah. And we and we have tons of people here. So everyone, like, feel free to jump in whenever you, you think about it. But Will, from your perspective, is this a business-driven decision or is it a development-driven decision? In other words, are you wanting to do this because you're like, we want to use, you know, XYZ front-end framework or we want this developer experience? Or is it a business decision where you're saying it gives us X, Y, or Z? Like, which where would you put it on that? You know, before we started learning about it, I think that was like the question I just kept asking mm. the team and asking other developers because it sounded like it sounded like a great thing to get into. It takes a lot of the skills that we've been learning and developing over time. And it looks like it puts a lot of those things to work in a different way. But then we were like, well, but everything's going really well right now with what the tools we have. Maybe we don't need to change anything. And then a, a little bit after we started having these discussions and we, we went to a conference to learn more about it. And we started talking to other developers and it actually started to turn itself into a a business choice because one thing we learned is we have some, we have some clients that run really expensive managed hosted websites. And a lot of that's there just to keep PHP running and Mm. keep the database queries running really quickly. So we could cut their hosting costs way down. We were looking at it from a long-term kind of reusability standpoint. If we start really adopting framework, you know, looking at Gatsby and and Gridsome and some of these JavaScript frameworks, even though they're still relatively new, the things we build in them today, you know, chances are they'll still be uh, useful a couple years from now. So we can start making our development a little bit more efficient and in the end, a little more profitable because we're able to kind of build off the work we're doing as opposed to, you know, working in one CMS and one templating language now or working in one, sometimes in WordPress, sometimes in Craft, sometimes in Drupal. Um, We'll be able to take at least the back end, split it out and to do its own thing and then turn the front end into something that we could make our development more efficient. And Right, and, and, and that's something that I, I think is definitely 
a benefit is that you can then not care what CMS is being used. You can not care where the data is coming from and you can simplify your development process from the point of view of, you know, here's what we use for the front end and the, the back end can be whatever the client, if they're more comfortable with WordPress, let them use WordPress. Who cares? But So I totally agree with Will on the question of whether it's a business decision or a development decision. I think for me, it was a development decision at first coming from building a few uh, sites, just messing around with Vue and uh, just loving the development experience of building client-side apps and right. then wanting that coming back and building craft sites. So for me, I was playing around with it because I loved the JavaScript ecosystem. I loved Vue, Vue templates. I even love React and now what Gatsby's doing. So then to try to make that real, I looked into how it would work if, you know, with the problems that there are with client-side apps, how you can solve those like server-side rendering for SEO and answer for a lot of those situations seems to be the Jamstack. So then I looked into the business side of things and it's actually, for a lot of cases, works out really well for that too. You know, you get faster performance, you get lower hosting costs and reduced server maintenance and things like that. So I think there are people coming from both sides because now when I teach it to other people, I do emphasize the business side of things and how it's good for that, but it's not where I was starting. Well, let me take a step back though. I mean, let's say that you're you're already very experienced and good at building sites using something like Craft CMS and Twig, right? So from a business perspective and from a skill set perspective, you're then you have to look at it and say, okay, well, is it worth unlearning that and trying to relearn how to do everything that I already knew? You know, I mean, isn't isn't that a, a pain point that a lot of people might have is they say, okay, great. I understand that I can spend the next six months, you know, unlearning what I know, learning how to do this in React or Vue or Svelte or whatever it is that I want to do. But then I'm just going to end up kind of in the same place that I was. And where is the benefit to, the, to doing that? And Jen, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely. Because I'd say my team is in the position where we're all sort of old school PHP developers and sort of generally don't have that much experience using the front end JavaScript frameworks. So I feel like it might be a lot to ask to to learn all of this new stuff if it may or may not be a passing fad. So that's something that is concerning to me, at least. How do you know that it's going to be around for a while? And does it really have the payoff that you know that you guys are mentioning? Like, will performance be better? Will hosting costs go down? Will security concerns go away? So I mean, that's I'm sort of using this podcast as a research tool for, for that. But those are the things that our team is thinking about for sure. And, and that makes sense. So I can tell you, I can give you some assurance, at least from the, you know, is it a fad and staying power type of thing? My first Jamstack site, I have all of you beat, including you, Sean, I got you beat. I had a Jamstack site running back in 1995. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Nice. I did. I, we had a website and it was a deployed to a static host and it was just HTML, uh, JavaScript. Well, maybe there was maybe... Yeah, where was the J? I don't know. <laughs> there was, well, there was a little bit of JavaScript, I think, but there was no APIs, I don't think. Like, I don't think it communicated with anything else. But still, the point is that I had a static site. Essentially, you know, what would, what today could be considered a Jamstack site, I had that deployed back in 1995. So that's been around for a long time. And I think that we sometimes conflate Jamstack with some of these front-end frameworks like Vue, React, Svelte, et cetera, et cetera, because Jamstack, you can do it with something like Hugo and Jekyll and those static site generators that people have been using for years. But Sean, are you trying to tell me that you, you got me beat? You got something before 1995? No, no, I don't. I don't. I 
probably wasn't born yet. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Oh my I'm, god! I'm, oh I'm boy! I'm I'm older than get that. off my um, show. Get off my show. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to twist that knife in there. Okay. No, just like uh, I was just I was just commenting like yeah, the you know the canonical example of the Jamstack site is the Space Jam website, which is still up, right? right. Like it's actually the the sheer simplicity of it that has been around forever that really is the the draw of you know what it what it's making it last so long, mm-hmm. and and so like yeah, I I actually call this something like like so you know how there's a phrase like politics makes strange bedfellows like as long as you know people fundamentally philosophically disagree but they both want the same thing they'll just like cooperate together that's kind of how i feel about jamstack and the modern generation of javascript frameworks like Mm -hmm. it's strange bedfellows there on one hand you have all these people who want to use just plain static stack generators and just output html and css and that's about it and maybe you sprinkle on a little bit of jquery and and so on and so forth and on the other hand you want to you have all these JavaScript junkies, uh, I'm myself included, that you know we want to write everything with React or Vue or Svelte, and then and then static side gen, um, you know, and server render once, and then and then serve it from a CDN. So so those these two people don't even talk, but <laughs> we're both <laughs> we're both we're both like aligned on this on this one thing, which is the Jamstack, which, because it's just fundamentally like more scalable, uh, longer lasting, it's decoupled from the back end and front end. Like oh, there's there's all, there's all these things. It's just that like it's it's absolutely not a requirement to to use the front end frameworks, but it can be a nicer ev- development experience, like some of like some I think Will mentioned. So yeah, well it I depends. Mean, it depends, right? I mean, and, and that's the the thing that I want to hammer home on this because I. Have had this misconception at first too is that Jamstack does not mean that you're using a, a React rendered website, right? That's not what it means. And what it really means is that we're not we're no longer dynamically rendering pages on a server somewhere, right? We're rendering those pages as part of our development or deploy process, and then we're shoving those static pages off to a CDN or a static host somewhere. And that's really what the the jam the biggest change in the Jamstack stuff is. If you want to use, you know, React, Vue, whatever, you can, but you definitely don't have to be using any of those? And uh, Marion, it looks like you want to get in here on something? Yes, I want to know whether a static site that never reaches out and gets more content after it's been loaded in your taxonomy counts as a Jamstack site, in which case I think, yes, I have ones that are older than yours. So, <laughs> oh my God. So philo- yeah. philosophically, I don't, I would say that that would count, Marion, <laughs> because... I mean, yeah, there's no API that it's reaching out to do anything with, but the point is that it was built somewhere else. It's not dynamically rendering it on the server, but I mean... Our- so you just upload some HTML, and if you're very modern, some CSS, and poof, that's a... Yeah, that's M that's stack. A jam- oh. Yeah, sounds like yeah. M. This is M. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, it, it's getting it's getting pedantic to to care too much, but I mean, I would call that a static site, but not a Jamstack site. So the fact, yeah, that I would too. You can you can I mean, ever people have been doing statically generated sites. Like the first one I can think of is Jekyll, that was a generator, right? Um, and a Jekyll site wouldn't be Jamstack because you're not using JavaScript for your for your templating. That's what the J in Jamstack is. It doesn't mean that the architecture isn't very close, or that like a Jekyll site is much different from a React site and how it will work, but I wouldn't think that's a Jamstack I don't. Site. I mean, so I've had a, a number of Jekyll thing. developers that I've talked to that think they're doing the Jamstack thing, and now you're you're starting this war, Jake. <laughs> I mean, you Netlify start- and the team there kind of coined the term, or you know, they they have the Jamstack dot what right. is it, uh, Sean? Is it dot net or uh, dot org? 
jamstack.org so maybe you can right but if we've learned but if we've learned anything jake the person who invented it doesn't necessarily get to determine what the definition is right because (laughs) otherwise we'd all be calling it jif not gif (laughs) right Right? Uh, Um, yeah just just to set the record a little bit yeah um uh, and at netlify i mean it's up to you to interpret uh at netlify we do consider jekyll and hugo and all the other uh static site generators uh jamstack uh the point is outputting static assets and so so, so J A M. Uh, those are an, those are ors and not ands. If you think about it, right. JavaScript okay. or Apex okay. or Marcus. so. Wait a minute. Yeah. Wait a minute. So you're telling me Marion's got me beat then? <laughs> Marion has you beat. <laughs> Unbelievable. Marion, I want proof. <laughs> Je- Jennifer, go ahead. You got something? Do you want to chime in here? Yeah. Well, a couple of people mentioned app the app longevity um, could be improved by using this approach, and I can see how that would work with you know static sites that that won't change a lot. But I, I guess I'm I'm curious about whether a typical craft setup that we that we might have with the database and craft CMS and no JavaScript framework or no no headless craft would quote unquote last longer than an approach where you decouple the front end with with the database by using an API layer. And why would that be the case? Even that my understanding is that even the the Jamstack tools will also be deprecated at some point, they will be upgraded, you'll have to go from view two to view three or, you know, webpack, you know, four to webpack five or whatever the case may be, the same thing you would do with craft. Um, So I wonder if you could elaborate on that. So at least from my perspective, when it comes to software development, the more code you have, the more tech debt that you have. Right. So if we're already building a, a website that has some modern front end to it to allow the interaction that we need to have, then, and more and more, you know, that's, that's happening. Having the additional layers of also having a whole VPS running somewhere and then the stack of PHP and Nginx or whatever and runs on that. And then a CMS that then runs on that. The more code you have that powers the thing that you're doing, the more tech debt that you're going to have to deal with at some point or another. If you have a front end that just communicates with something else via an API, in theory, you can just swap out whatever is providing that data and it should all just work, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the whole point of having a standardized API. Now, we'll front end stuff like Vue and React ever be updated? Yeah, of course. But then you aren't faced with the prospect of updating both Vue and your VPS server. And we've all had this happen. Like I've got a client that He's using an old expression engine site and he's now pa- he's now failing the pen tests that are running. There's a PCI mm-hmm. te- pen test that runs. He's failing it now because the version of PHP that's running on that server is outdated. We can't upgrade the, the server itself because it will require a newer version of PHP. We can't upgrade PHP because the CMS that it runs on is out of date. We've got this massive stack of stuff that then needs to be updated to move it forward. So I don't think it's necessarily that there are never going to be problems with tech debt or with updating stuff. It's more just that, you know, the the fewer things that are in your stack that power your thing, the less tech debt there will be. On that topic, I was thinking that's actually a good advantage here of the, the back end is the back end and the front end is the front end. And the thing that just kind of ties them together is the API. So right. when, so I'm actually excited about the idea of building a site right now and knowing that that API and that back end is always going to be there. Uh, at least, you know, I'll keep it up to date and it'll change as you're making adjustments to a site. But I like the idea of being able to just throw away the front end hmm. um, and put on a new front end when it, t- when it comes time 
for a client to either ask for a major redesign or um, we do a lot of marketing sites here. We're an advertising agency. So updating a, a site is usually due to some a big update to a, a company's brand. And there's really, you know, sometimes you can make an evolutionary design update, but a lot of times we do wind up throwing things out and it gives us a chance to also reevaluate, you know, things like CSS features that are now new at, at a given time when we're redesigning a site. Uh, we're, there's not a, there's not a lot of that front end baggage that we have to kind of keep in mind as we're you know planning for our new updates. Yeah. And and from my perspective, I have started using front end frameworks like Vue and React and et cetera, et cetera, just because I want to be able I want to do some of the more appish things on the front end, right? And so I'm I'm doing a bunch of stuff with that. And then I'm like, okay, well, this is actually kind of awkward to have this front end framework which wants to render stuff and then also have a back end CMS that also wants to render stuff. And then you have to bridge the gap between the two and who is responsible for rendering what and it gets really kind of muddy and confusing so then i look at it say okay is there any way that i can simplify this setup i I, what i really care about is that i have this modern javascript tooling on the front end because that's producing the experience that i want to produce is there any way that i can simplify that and i sort of backed into the the jamstack way of doing things from there in other words you know i want this okay but now i've got this awkward pipeline of stuff how can i simplify this to make this easier to deal with. Sean, did you have thoughts on that? I had I had a thought on well, two things. So yep. first of all, I just wanted to say like, yeah, bring your own front end is, is definitely like a, a big uh, factor. But, you know, hopefully people don't rewrite their front ends every year. I know I do, but, <laughs> uh, you know, so for some for some for some sites like that's that's like what like a one off thing. I think actually one of the interesting things is bring your own back end. So uh, you're, that, the, the fact that you're no longer stuck to one particular, let's say like, you know, all your single source of truth is, is WordPress, but like what if you want to do like an e-commerce thing, are you limited to the WordPress ecosystem or are, do you want, are you able to bring in data from Shopify and uh, hook it up and, and display it and interact with it the way that you want? So being able to bring in multiple data sources to your front end uh, is also the other way you, sort of, you can sort of look at it. And Gatsby is very good at that in, in terms of like, you know, like people can bring in their YouTube, like anything's a data stream, right? So you're just going to bring it in. Well, Sean, um, my, then, my concern with your whole bring your own back end thing, my concern is that you're doing some kind of cultural appropriation on BYU. Yob, right? That that really meant something when I was in college, and I don't I don't appreciate you trying to hijack that. But. Uh, uh, you can have many beers while you do that. Wait, yeah, one, one thing, one thing I, I do. Yeah, I mean, I, I also then I also wanted to agree with uh, what you were saying, which Andrew, which, which was the thing about how people want to make add more and more app like functionality. The, the whole reason we moved away from the jet, like we started with the jam stack, right? We started with static hosting in 1995, and then we moved away because uh, we couldn't JavaScript wasn't there yet, right? And then we moved, and, and then we had to develop whole, this whole server stack to support authentication, to support dynamic, dynamically generated pages. The argument is that with the current generation of modern frameworks in in JavaScript, tooling, um, that you can now do that on the client side with static assets and you don't need that server infrastructure anymore. So that, I think that would be the, like, you know, we, we all, we may not be building apps all the time, but we always, it's always nice to have like some functionality, uh, some, you, you know, and, and, and it's nice to not have to retool to add that functionality as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and you're right. Like we did all start out doing kind of Jamstack stuff at some point, right? And then that's the reason why PHP was invented to begin with, was to have some kind of dynamic something or other. And keep in mind, you know, PHP stood for personal homepage. 
right? I mean, that's that's what it was. But And we have now moved to the point where the expectation is that we're able to build web apps. So then we're using these frameworks to make that easier, building this kind of app-ish interaction stuff. And then from a mental headspace point of view, like if we're already using this on the front end, maybe we can do everything. Like maybe if we do want to make just a brochure site, maybe we can use that one approach of doing things for all of this stuff, right? Rather than having to learn, well, we're going to do server-side stuff if it's a brochure site, and we're going to do Jamstack stuff if it's more dynamic, and we're going to do some weird funky hybrid if it's a a mix of the two. There really is only so much your brain can hold, right? In terms of of what you're going to be able to to do, right, Will? Yeah. Uh, And, uh, you know, we're talking about building the front end and we're talking about the tools we're using to, you know, make that a lot, a lot more flexible, but it also makes the back end more flexible in that if you, if you have multiple targets, the front end Jamstack is, you know, your website could be just one place you're putting that content and one place you're pulling, you know, using that API for. But we had a situation come up recently where a client came to us and they wanted us to look into what would it take to build a React Native app. We're like, oh, that's great. Um, we, we, we're going we're to need some sort of back end. And meanwhile, that shares a lot of the same content that you're going to want to put on your website, but it uses it in different ways. But instead of you having two systems to update your your backend of your, uh, your content, um, you'll you'll be able to ch- change things. We're talking about like ev- events or locations. Those things aren't going to change for this client and in the context of their customers. But when you're looking at the website, you want to find out what event is where. Um, and when you're on the app, maybe it's more of you know, using that event location to figure out you know what functionality you want the app to do. So it's allowing that backend to be a little more flexible. And we don't have to say you know we're going to build you a website and then we're also going to build an API off that website. And then all of a sudden, in a few years, again, if something changes on your website, we don't have to worry about taking that app down because that backend is not going to change. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what a lot of people listening might be thinking to themselves is like, okay, I mean, this sounds interesting. But again, there's a whole lot of new stuff that I've got to learn. And is it really going to be worth it in the end to do this? So has anyone here gone from doing websites for clients in, in a more traditional fashion and either fully moved over to doing Jamstack stuff or have just been experimenting with doing it and can actually tell us that yes, it is worth it. Matt, can you tell us that? Yeah, I mean, that's my current quest right now. Um, and I've, I've started with Flash many years ago, making really dynamic, really deeply annoying sites. Um, <laughs> and then the, the sites that I do more of right now are more brochure sites and, and some Larav- like little Laravel and Vue apps. Mm. Um, but what I really like, I'm, I'm already having to relearn everything every month anyway. I don't know who here isn't. So I figure why not spend some time with Gatsby. I'm currently rebuilding my own site, which is always kind of the guinea pig for this stuff. But what I really, really like about building a site with Gatsby is that it's a well-rounded thing. So I could do more rich animation, but not leave out things like SEO or accessibility, where usually there was kind of a trade-off in choosing between one thing and the next. It's kind, it's one stack that I could kind of do just about anything with and and then you know, learn modern JavaScript and then do without hosting. So it's kind of, I think it's a, it's a learning investment for sure. Learning a lot of stuff at once, but it's been really, really fun and kind of opened up the possibilities of what I could actually build. 
Yeah, I think that for anyone who's looking at potentially doing this transition, something like Gatsby or Gridsom or Sapper, or if you're someone like Sean, like you'll just write your own because you just feel like it, will really help out in terms of this stuff, right? Because then you can actually be generating the uh, all of this stuff locally, or you can push it up to Netlify and have it build up there or whatever. But then you're also getting all of these tools layered on top that make not just the static generation of stuff easier, but make building performant websites easier, right? You can use Gatsby Image and it will do the source set stuff for you. You can use the uh, the router that's built into it and it will. you can build an SBA and it will take care of the um, the routing stack for you, right, Jake? Oh, yeah. it's uh, It's all about that. Yeah, I have two, I have two things. One, going back to what Matt said about being able to build multiple types of sites with Gatsby, that's totally true. And it's one of the maybe underrated features of starting to build your sites this way is Gatsby tweeted the other day, they're like, you guys know that we do static site generation, but you can actually do other stuff with Gatsby. So with Gatsby or Nuxt or Gridsum or most of these front end frameworks that you can use, you can actually build either a statically rendered site, a client side rendered site, a progressive web app with offline support, kind of any type of app with that same framework. So you can get that familiar familiarity and be able to build different types of apps across the spectrum with that same stack. The other thing is, yeah, that feature set you're talking about that you kind of get on the front end. Anyone who's tried to implement critical CSS or lazy image loading with a standard traditional server-side rendered application knows it's often more work than it's worth or if it's worth it for you. It's a, it's hard to set up. And like Matt was saying, you do sometimes have trade-offs for that. Now with Gatsby, like a Gatsby rendered Jamstack site, a lot of the times you the base is the same. So you know you get a statically rendered site. That's what you would you can render HTML with Twig or you can pre-render it with uh, Gatsby and there's some differences there. But all things being equal there, Jamstack sites still still give you a lot of features that you wouldn't normally get. Like that Gatsby image component you're talking about is just a great example. You can use your Gatsby image, you pull you give it a source URL and then it'll it'll pre-render a super low quality version of the image and blur it out and then you know blur in the new image kind of Instagram style for you out of the box with no configuration. If you tried to do that on your site, if you'd never done it before, it'd probably take you at least a couple hours. Critical inlining, you can push your app to the edge of a CDN right away. You can just do a lot of really performance and accessibility um, related things a lot easier with the Jamstack setup. All right. So I'm going to have to challenge you on a couple of those things though, Jake. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I don't think that we're getting that stuff from Jamstack, right? So Gatsby does give us that stuff, but it's a tool that is built on top of that, right? So just by virtue of building Jamstack stuff, we're not necessarily getting that stuff. That's really dependent on the the tool that we're using. And, and yes, Gatsby does provide those really nice features for generating the images. But if you think about it, it's really not that much different than if you were doing a, a craft setup and you install my image optimize plugin, because they will both give you the image images really easily that you can just stuff into your your front end stuff and away you go. I do agree with you though that the net result is that these tools that are built on top of doing stuff the Jamstack way are doing way more than static site generation. They're doing they're they're making it so that by default you are making a very modern performant website. Now you can screw it up and I've seen no end of people <laughs> screw it up where and I do it all the time. I'll you know someone will be like, "Oh, this Jamstack is awesome, you know, take a look at this and I'll run some performance tools on their site and it sucks. It's terrible, 
right? You can make anything bad, but by default, it gives you some really good um, settings for not screwing it up, right, Matt? And while it's tr- it's true that the Jamstack doesn't mean that you're going to be you know having to get into a bunch of JavaScript, technically. Yeah, you're you're going to have to be investing a lot of time in, in learning JavaScript <laughs> if you want to play with any of these things. And as a dinosaur, I've I found that I'm infatuated with building things with uh, uh, web components. Or, mm. Well, I shouldn't say web components with JavaScript components. Web components mm-hmm. are cool too, but that's a, I guess pretty. That's another talk. I mean, it's, it's a hot topic. Yeah, <laughs> that's another. Um, <laughs> what's great is that once you build things out of these really neat little nuggets of Vue or React or Svelte or whatever, the whole world kind of opens itself up of, with all these tools and things you can use, whether you're talking about design and tying into design work with Figma, or whether you're documenting everything with Storybook and having all these neat, live, rich, just kind of automatically maintained ways of of visualizing your project and the components that it's made up of. There are so many tools you can take advantage of. It's a rich environment to work in. And I think that's kind of exciting and makes it worth building with these things and still being able to have SEO and, you know, stuff that didn't quite used to be there without a well-rounded project like Gatsby or tons of time or, you know, 300 page Andrew Welch blog post. I've got, I've got some comments on that, but let's let Jake get back in here. and, and Yeah. So it. I just want to do just comment back to what Andrew was talking about. And I totally, I, for the most part agree. I mean, you can build a good site or a bad site with any tool. I would love to see a, a static server rendered site using PHP or another server rendered language where you get automatic code splitting out on a per root basis, smart prefetching of assets that you're going to need later down the page. Or even, I mean, like some of these sites are looking where your mouse goes and being like, oh, I think he's going to want to go to this page next. It'll load it in the background. Right. There are some advantages that you really are I have bad maybe news. not impossible, I have, I have really bad very news. hard to do. I have really without, bad news, Jake. Um, the Jake. Jamstack architecture. I have really bad news. The the devmo.fm website does all of those things. <laughs> <laughs> it, it will do the, the link prefetching on rollover and different resources are loaded and it async load stuff as you scroll down and all that kind of stuff can be done. But you're right. And, it is yeah. harder to do. It is more work to do it that way. There's no question that it is more work to do it that way. So most you people don't have to remember the devmo.fm website was not built by a mere mortal. <laughs> <laughs> Right, whatever. But yeah, um, the real point is, Jake, that the majority of people are not going to spend the time to do it. You're 100% correct from that point of view. 100% correct. Because like, I I do it, right? But I'm I'm crazy. <laughs> in, 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 in some ways that are good and in some ways that are that are bad. But for a lot of people, like, you know, they're working on it. They're working at an agency. They're working on a site. Here's the budget. Here's the hours you can spend on it. No, right. of course, we're not going to do that stuff, right? Like, why? no, we're not going to spend the extra time to do that. And if you get that stuff kind of for free with the environment that you're doing here, then, you know, why not? Uh, yeah, Will, Will, totally Will? agree. Will? Uh, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I was just going to say that we wind up doing some of those things part of, partially because maybe a client has a lot of visitors or I would need to worry about, you know, the amount of people hitting the site all at once. And so we will take the time to do those things. And what I'm excited about here is that like so far in our playing around with uh, Gatsby and Crudsum, a lot of that stuff just comes out of the box. Yes. And then taking that even further. So Mark and I work together to, to with the other developers on our team. And it's one thing for all of us to be try to become experts in lazy loading and prefetching and stuff. But um, it's great to have, you know, this set of things, the set of 
problems already solved and I could just say, okay, just go and use Gridsome here and you're going to get all these benefits and build it in the JavaScript that you know and you don't have to be an expert in you know static caching or site or anything like that. Well, I want to hear from Mark though. So Mark, you have been building stuff kind of the traditional LAMP stack-ish way for a while. How do you feel about this whole, is it daunting that this whole new way of doing stuff is dumped on you? Are you excited? Like what, what does this look like t- to you? I would say it's more excitement. Two reasons being, one, we use a lot of Vue to make... So we're, we've been looking a lot into Gridsome because of that. So for me to make the Vue to Gridsome transition, it's a little easier because right. I already have a good amount of understanding with Vue. And then I think the biggest thing for me is less DevOps, less mm. messing around with the server I've just, I've gotten in the weeds a lot with that over the years of something's going on with the site. It's something related to the server. You're either working with the server company or maybe you're on a Linode, so you're kind of on your own there. So for me, that tends to be a pain point. And so to be able to not have to deal with that as much is exciting and like kind of seems like it's a, could be a weight lifted off your shoulders in a way. Yeah. One of, one of the, my too long didn't read on Jamstack for people that aren't familiar with it is that you're going to love it if you like JavaScript and you hate DevOps. Right? <laughs> and and from my perspective, it's kind of like whenever there's a problem with a server, I think a lot of developers it kind of view, it's kind of like if you're a homeowner and you get home and you have to deal with the water just not working every now and again. You know, it's like this basic thing that you're like, come on, do I really have to deal with this? I think the, the, the debate that was happening between Jake and Andrew a little bit was how much is this a part, a necessary part of Jamstack? And, and you absolutely don't need, you know, to, to, to be on a Jamstack architecture to have some of these features. It's a, it's a, it's an outcome of having a good ecosystem, right? right? And, and having the right ecosystem in any scenario. And you can absolutely pick a technology purely because of the ecosystem, nothing fundamental, just, just cause it's more built out and it's the way that you like it. But I, I think, I think, uh, yeah, like it kind of gets back to the core of like, why do this at all is the, is the whole not needing a running server. It, it, it's the, it's the cost, but it's also like the knowledge and the, and the, and the time spent managing all this, you know, just like not needing to, it's just it just scales better just because it's just static files like you you can put it on a CDN and there's there's nothing else behind that which also uh, means uh, uh, there's uh, less surface area for for attacks right so as a super relevant case in point like this is you, you couldn't even make this up Sean that this <laughs> <laughs> this just happened today. So a notice went out to everyone that uses Buddy. So Buddy is a deployment <laughs> service that a lot of us use. And it says, several hours ago, we discovered a potential attack vector in our system. Change your AWS secrets immediately. Right. So oh, there's, <laughs> <laughs> right. So, oh. you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pile on them from the perspective of like, cause this happens to everybody to some extent or another. Right. But if you have servers that you manage on AWS, there goes your afternoon. There goes your Friday. You got to go in there and you, you got to invalidate all this stuff. And that's, I mean, yeah, I mean, eliminating that, having to deal with that DevOps part is is huge. And I, I totally agree with you that the ecosystem is what's important. And one of the reasons why the ecosystem is so crazy or so crazy good, I should say, and this this gets back to the, the browser wars, you know, back when Microsoft and Netscape and Apple and all these different competitors were, were trying to kind of own the browser space and own the internet, they dump so much money into JavaScript, into making JavaScript fast, into making VMs that were that ran incredibly well. No other language has seen that kind of money dumped into it as a result of the, the browser wars. And kind of as a result of that, 
For the seventh year in a row on the Stack Overflow developer survey, JavaScript is the number one most commonly used programming languages. Seven years in a row. And it's not even close. It's like, I think it's at like 71%. And the next closest is Python, which is way down the list. And the interesting thing about that is that if you're, if you own an agency or you're just thinking about your long-term career prospects... <laughs> This is a huge resource to tap into. If this is the most common language and we can we can tap into that talent pool, that's huge. I mean, and, and I've talked to some people that one of the reasons why their agency transitioned to doing Jamstack stuff is just the talent pool that was coming in in terms of kids coming out of college or, you know, whatever. They all knew JavaScript. Like, that's what they knew. And they want to leverage that. Does anyone else run into that? I'm pretty out of touch with what the kids are doing. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, oh, I'll I'll. See. Uh, this is Will. I we did run into um, we've we've seen we did just recently hire a new developer mm -hmm. and in just kind of interviewing people. Yeah, you're right. A lot of them will put down on their resume. You know, I I know React, I know Angular, mm -hmm. and then so we started asking them questions like, how do you go about you know setting up a CMS or uh, what PHP experience do you have? Because we use a lot of craft here, and they're kind of lost for words because at some point they were learning in school or they were trying to get they're trying to get started in this industry and. They're, that's the first place they're starting. Yeah. Yeah. And my, my litmus test is if you were telling 21 year old you what you should learn, you know, what advice would you give them? And I would 100% <laughs> tell people to get really good at JavaScript. And I would also tell them to, you know, pick one of these frameworks and get good at that. Because I mean, honestly, that's where the job the jobs are. I might even also recommend TypeScript, but that's just because I come from a C background and I think that weekly type languages just suck. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, that's, that's, that's a whole nother argument, you know, whatever. But as a business consideration, you know, getting back to what we we're talking about before, you know, is it a development decision or is it a business decision? It definitely could be part of the d business decision that just the talent pool is there, you know, and if the talent pool is that big and I need to be able to pull in people that can work on whatever site it is that I'm building, it totally makes sense to leverage it, I think. And and Jen, I think you're in a unique position that a lot of other people are are in, at least from the, the craft community, in that, you know, they there are a lot of developers that they'll know PHP, they'll know backend stuff, and it may seem a little bit daunting to then, I hate to say throw out, but to, you know, get rid of that knowledge and start learning a new way of doing things? Have you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, yeah, well I think we don't do a lot of public facing websites. So I think that's probably one of the reasons that it hasn't mattered that much that the code isn't split perfectly and the images aren't Lo uh, loading lazily. A lot of the programming that we're doing are sort of, you know, backend processes, for example, and things that nobody ever really sees. And PHP has been pretty good for that. Mm -hmm. We have done marketing brochure sites and sort of high volume sites. And for those, we're, we started using craft about a year and a half ago, and that's been going great. And I think those would be the good candidates for you know, moving over to Jamstack. We don't have that much experience with it, a little bit of view because you can kind of just drop it in and you don't need to go all in on it. But I think that's about it. So I have, I guess, two concerns. One is, I mean, are there any limitations to it? And w would we would we be able to do everything that we do now that we do with PHP? Would we be able to do it as easily with a Jamstack approach? And then two, you know, in terms of the DevOps, I mean, I feel like we've, we don't have that 
many issues with it. We can kind of just clone our AWS instances and don't really worry about them much. But I do sort of notice on the Craft CMS Discord, a lot of people having trouble with basic, mm. you know, rendering of web websites. I mean, how do I get the page to load with Gridsome? It's not working. And a lot of people having a lot of trouble with that. And maybe because it's just new and we're still ironing out some of the kinks, I, you know, I like to sort of stay six months behind these kind of things so that people can, you know, alpha test things for us and then <laughs> we'll go, we'll go ahead with it. But yeah, those are, those would be the questions like A, what are the limitations? And B, you know, when are the DevOps going to be easy, at least when we want to use it with craft? So had you gone to Montreal and attended the, <laughs> the, the dot all conference, like you mm -hmm. promised me you were going to, that's okay. So I did, I did cover some of this kind of in my, my talk in that one of the biggest changes is where you're doing stuff, right? So we're still doing the same stuff. So fundamentally, like stuff has to be put together, text has got to be mangled, and then we got to output something the browser understands, which is HTML, right? That has to be done no matter how we're doing it. And what we had been doing before is uh, we would run this on the server side, it would generate all that stuff and it would it, it would output it. When we start doing Jamstack stuff, well, then we move where that process is done. That process is now done on our local developments uh, machine. You know, that's where we build, if we build something with Gatsby, it builds every single page on local dev and then that's what we push up or we have a build server or we use Netlify build. And whenever we push something to the Git repo that kicks, kicks off a process that then generates every single page and then that stuff gets deployed. So as a pain point, what used to take up the time in terms of your, your DevOps time is now stuff that you're going to have to either wait for your deployment pipeline or manage and optimize your deployment pipeline. If you have the capacity to, to move you know, to a new house or a new apartment, you can make the switch to to a different stack. Like the, all the the things that you know are all still there. I mean, there's a and with JavaScript. I appreciated that you pointed out in your talk, Andrew, that it's the only thing I can run in the front end and the back end. Mm -hmm. And so it, it looks differently in each place, but there's no PHP on the front end. But the the things that you already know will translate, or at least that's what I found. It's just they're not where you expected them to be. So you're constantly looking for a light switch where it isn't, and you know having to figure out where to put the toaster. And I mean as frustrating as learning any new thing, but I, I don't know, the skills translate, not just in hiring people that know JavaScript, but you've worked with servers, you've worked with the front end, you've worked with the back end, and it's just kind of a different way of arranging things. So can anything be a Jamstack site? Um, uh, I can. I don't so, know what that means, but probably. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I guess the, the question is still, what are the limitations, if I, any? I can speak to that a little bit. So yeah, you know, as much as is. I, I, I love like truth, honest, like what is it? Truth in advertising. Mm. So I, I think that any discussion of Jamstack is incomplete without talking about what it's still not that great for. So like the, 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 the base idea is that if you absolutely need to dynamically generate on request, uh, and then that can be because of user authentication and you cannot wait for any client side stuff to, uh, to load the, that dynamic data, then you're going to have to server render it. And if you server render, then you're not doing, uh, then, then you can't do Jamstack, right? Because then you have you need a running server to go check your off and, and data and all that stuff uh, before rendering out all that HTML to serve to your to your user. So if you just like fundamentally cannot like that the, the model of client side rendering for anything dynamic doesn't suit you and you have to do anything dynamic on the server side, then then you're probably going to want to stick to a running server. Then the other the other bit is the the question of this the size and scale of sites. We have customers going up to like a few hundred thousand pages that does take a while to build. 
build. And the way that most static site gen- generators are set up right now is they build everything from scratch every time right. on every commit, every every submission, every edit. That's obviously super wasteful. There is a movement now to do incremental builds. So you just diff your data and then, and then only regenerate the pages that have changed. But that is something that is still not very ironed out right now. So people right now, they just deal with it. Uh, we have some of our largest customers are Smashing Magazine and Sequoia Capital. Each of them have tens to hundreds of thousands of uh, pages and they just they just wait, they rebuild every time. It can take a while to preview like the changes, right? So some solutions are developed where you can view like the, just like the raw diff. So that's what Netlify CMS does, or you can have a standalone thing just for previews. That's what Gatsby previews does. So there are, there are a number of ways around this sort of like instant feedback situation. And this, this is a concern at the, at the larger sizes. Does that help? Yeah, I think that's helpful. And again, you're going to have problems no matter, and pain points, no matter which way you go with it. It's kind of where they are going to end up being, I think. And yes, there there are workarounds that are going to be happening for all of these things. But, you know, I think about it from the perspective that I have a number of sites where I do static caching, right? So basically what happens is a request comes in. If it's not in the cache, PHP renders this dynamic page and then it saves it. And so the next request that comes in, it just instantly returns the HTML, doesn't spin up PHP, none of that stuff. And so you kind of get the best of both worlds from the perspective of you have the scalability of a static site, but you have the just-in-time generation of that static site. So I I actually, I feel like if we coined the term, you know, a a really sexy term that it would take off. So something like just-in-time jam, like JIT jam is kind of (laughs) like what what that's doing. It's doing a JIT jam, right? Um, But... You know, these all of these problems have been around for a long time and they're just being solved in different ways. The biggest gain that at least I am seeing from the Jamstack stuff is it simplifies things. It simplifies my life from the perspective of I have one language to learn and get really good at. I don't have to deal with DevOps. My life is simpler and I can focus on the thing that I'm trying to build more. I definitely agree that you're going to have problems with any stack you work on. Um, one thing, Marianne had an amazing line at .all Craft CMS's conference that we were at a couple weeks ago. Marianne was on a panel and we were talking about the Jam stack and Marianne said the bleeding edge is aptly named. It's not a place you would want to take your friends, which is, is definitely fair. <laughs> So, yeah, isn't that amazing? I was like, I think it was everyone's favorite quote of the yeah. whole conference. Yeah. But it's definitely true. Like the Jamstack is the bleeding edge at that point, And it's becoming less so. But these things are still being worked out. Though you will have problems with any stack you work on, some stacks have been around longer. The problems have been identified and have been solved, maybe in a way that you like, maybe in a way that you don't. But a lot of this stuff is really new. So what Sean was talking about with the incremental builds is being worked on right now. I don't think anyone has incremental builds fully working. I think Gatsby's the furthest ahead on getting that done right now. Mm -hmm. But some of these problems that will be solved and will be non-issues or will be, you know, have have an answer with 50,000 upvotes on Stack Overflow in two years are a bigger (laughs) deal now than they would be on uh, LAMP Stack or something that's been Well, Jake, Jake, if you think about it, like a, a LAMP Stack is a kind of differential static build, right? 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sure. Like that's sure. what it is. It's doing it in a different place. Like when we're doing Jamstack stuff, we, we don't want it done on the server because we want it to scale, but it's the same thing. You know what I mean? And and ultimately the you're going to be trying to solve the same problem when you, you want to be able to do this. Like I think Gatsby, I think they're calling, yeah. or at least Kyle Matthews is calling it uh, SSG, uh, streaming site generator, I think was what he was looking to to coin in terms of the, the way the incremental stuff would work. But right. you know, when you think about it, like a LAMP stack, it's, it's an incremental static site generator kind of thing, right? Because when, right. when a request comes in for a page, it builds like just that thing. And okay, we've realized that there are benefits to being able to change only one thing. All right, let's figure out how to do that in the Jamstack way where it's built on our local dev machine, right? So Marion, everything that's old is new again to an extent? That it, it, That's true. And I'm, this incremental builds thing, that was what in 1979, the <laughs> make was developed to do for you. Yeah. So you didn't have to absolutely recompile absolutely everything when you change only one source file. Yeah. What I'm thinking about is that there's kind of a conservation of complexity mm. that to a certain extent you can you can push things around and you can say, well, we're going to do the hard part here instead of over there and we're going to do it now instead of then. Um but it doesn't really, really make things simpler. And that's one way of looking at it. And then that's one thing that's true. And another thing that's true is that progress is made and the same things do get easier. And then we just attempt to do more complicated things. Right. Yeah. yeah you know what they say? There's three hard problems in computer science, naming things, cache invalidation, and off by one errors. And that's really true. We're just getting around to fixing cache invalidation in another area right. with differential builds and incremental builds. Right. And be, because this, yeah. this all is essentially a cache, right? So when we're, when we're doing the Jamstacky way of doing stuff where we build everything ahead of time, we're just generating the whole cache ahead of time. Like that's all we're doing. It's just a cache. And then we give it to Netlify and we say, Netlify, deploy this cache for me. Or if we use Netlify build, we say, Netlify, build this cache for me. <laughs> right. But I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, Go ahead. Oh. I just I, I was just have a question. Like I think authentication is one of those places where it's mm. really kind of. I just want to maybe survey the panel. Like how many of you like care or implement that much in, in terms of your your clients off, off solutions for the final site that you're producing. Like you can have authentication for your CMS, of course, but does the final output actually need it? What do you use? What concerns do you have around that? So I'll go first. I mean, it it depends for your typical corporate site. It doesn't really matter for a number of sites I've worked on where they have membership and they have logins and, and custom stuff that is available to that particular person. I mean, yeah, it's definitely an issue and it is something that is is really super important. Does anyone else have experience with this? Yeah, my team definitely does. I mean, usually we work with Laravel most of the time mm -hmm. and the information that we're storing is super sensitive for many right. clients. And that's sort of what keeps us up at night a lot is what happens if this data gets out. I mean, we're talking things that are like, you know, HIPAA type things, you know, information on, you know, vulnerable children and things like that. So it would definitely be of the highest priority for my team for at least these apps to make sure that the data is secure. And, and and if, you know, switching approaches would make that better, that that's definitely an incentive to, to move to a different approach of, of monitoring that. So I'm definitely interested in, you know, keep my ears open for that, for sure, with the, the security questions using Jamstack versus LAMP in that, in that sense, definitely. Yeah. And it definitely would make the, whatever site you deploy, it would make it more secure, right? But mm -hmm. if you are going to have to have a Laravel backend or something sitting out there on the internet anyway, Way. Well, you, then you still have to deal with the security concerns surrounding that piece, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely.
definitely, definitely. Right. right. So in, in that case, it's not necessarily a net gain. It's, you know, you're kind of moving the, the problem around to, to one extent or another. Right? So I, I agree. Uh, we build mostly more static sites, so we don't deal with authentication a lot. I built a couple sites that had, you, you know, users on the front end. So they did have dynamic content based on what type of customer they were and mm-hmm. things like that. So, you know, e-commerce or retail um, sites or even like a catalog site, something like that, but that might have users. And I ha- we didn't build that in Jamstack. I considered it, but we weren't quite far enough down the road to go with it for that site. One thing worth mentioning is it is possible to do both. So you can build most of your site statically and then have a part of a page that is dynamic right. or a whole page. You know, you could have most of your site static, but then your admin pages for your users are dynamic. Like Andrew said, some of the benefits of the Jamstack, especially the, the one I can think of is security because you have to have your backend where you can get to it so you can authenticate against it so you can pull your customer data. So you lose that security benefit of being able to put your whole site behind a firewall or something, but you can kind of do a dynamic and server rendered app. You get that out of the box with probably most uh, Jamstack frameworks. So it's not always one or the other, but you kind of have to still make those trade-offs just like you do now. Nice. So I, I want to hear what Patrick has kind of been lurking in the background. I'm a little worried about <laughs> actually what's going on here, but I, I want to hear what Patrick has, has got to say about all this. And then I want to get back. I got a couple of questions for Will and Mark. So Patrick, what do you got? Yeah. And, and sorry, I'm a little under the weather this week. Yeah. I, I'm in a similar boat where a lot of what we're doing is kind of read-only content. We have done an e-commerce site with a little bit of a Jamstacky approach, if not fully Jamstack built out. So it's something that we haven't had to deal with. That being said, yeah, having everything built on a server where your front and your back are in one place, you get a lot of kind of batteries included stuff with session handling and all that that mm-hmm. you'd have to recreate. You'd have to you know, possibly really dig into what are those APIs doing when you say that login is required on this page and how am I going to do that and all that stuff. Like there's a lot to unpack there and I'm sure at some point it'll get a little bit easier or there'll be some standards around it, but I think we're far off. One thing, and we actually spent some of this morning writing up a an SW for a Jamstack site because, yeah, we talked about is it a business decision? Is it a development decision? Mm. Um, this is for a, a small financial product. Mm-hmm. And for them, they have compliance requirements that they need to be able to say at, at any point in time, here's what is on the site, here's what we were claiming, here are what the interest rates were that day. And it's very, very attractive to them to be able to have a set in stone set of markup of HTML, CSS, JavaScript. It doesn't have to be full Jamstack, but JavaScript and markup just living on a server. We're looking at a couple things for that. Uh, I know uh, Ben Croker has some things. This, this is being recorded in advance, but he's doing some cool stuff with Blitz that's going to allow... Right. for the generation of some Jamstack stuff that'll talk right to Netlify. And I don't know, maybe that could be a later episode. But yeah, there are a lot of approaches to it. But it, it's funny for me, it's actually the business that is pushing us to, to go Jamstack. So Blitz for everyone that uh, isn't familiar with it, and I know, Sean, you probably are not. So it's basically a, a plugin for Craft CMS that it kind of does what I was mentioning the FastCGI cache does or Varnish does, which is that it will create a static cache of your stuff. And it will just be 
be it'll then just be served up as raw HTML when it's requested after after that. And one of the things that he's worked on and he's given me permission to talk about it in here is that he's building a Jamstack site generator mm-hmm. into, into this tool where you can just click a button and then every page in your craft CMS site is then rendered, saved out into a file and then automatically gets deployed to GitHub or to Netlify or, or whatever. And he is, uh, I, I, uh, he may kill me for saying this, but I know he was looking into a Netlify integration where he can actually uh, log into Netlify and he can then create everything, all the stuff for you using the uh, the API that you provide. But so that's another thing where it's not what you might think of as Jamstack, but it really is. So what that will do is mm-hmm. that will let someone who has, let's say I've got a craft CMS site and, you know, the client doesn't change it that often and I want to make it performant. Well, you could just use this and then it will generate the entire site, deploy it to Netlify and away it goes. And they don't update it for another year. Great. You know, that's that's fantastic. The other kind of nifty thing about it is then you could have a corporate site where there is actually an intranet where the CMS runs on. The Blitz plugin is installed there. You save whatever changes that you save there. And then that gets deployed to Netlify where there will then be a static site just sitting out there. So in a way, it's kind of like Hugo for craft specifically. It's just kind of neat. So what what do you think about that, Sean? Does that sound kind of interesting to you? I think it's very interesting. I think you should get in touch with us and we'll work on that together with him. (laughs) Awesome. Jake, you had something you wanted to say? I just wanted to uh, maybe maybe Sean or someone could just talk a little bit about what Netlify is and how it plays into all of this because I think we've said Netlify approximately 700 times and uh, I'm sure there are some people who just aren't quite as familiar. If you're not familiar with the Jamstack space, it's probably not something that you've come across a lot. I will let Sean give that synopsis, but we did a an entire episode with Sean on Netlify. Oh, so, so anyone who's listening to this and you want to hear more than Sean is about to tell you, we did a whole episode on it. So go ahead, Sean. What is it? <laughs> uh, thanks. Uh, yeah, so so uh, three things. It's a CDN that serves your Jamstack files, your static assets. It's a continuous deployment tool, so like a build bot that builds your static files and anything anything else that you need to pre-process. And then it's a development workflow on your local laptop where you can simulate your production environment before deploying it. So three things. Dev build an edge. Very cool. So Jake, did you have anything else you wanted to, to add to that or? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Awesome. Great elevator. So let, let, me, let me get back to Mark and to Will. And okay, so you you folks have kind of approached this and you said, okay, we've decided that going Jamstack is probably, some, there probably are enough benefits to it. So first of all, where where in that steps of doing things are you currently? And what is your plan moving forward in terms of how are you going to actually put this into effect and, and make this happen? We are, you know, we're kind of still learning and we're in a situation where in an advertising agency where even if Mark and I figure this out, we still have to kind of convince other folks who are selling some of our websites or are, and are part of that, you know, sales team. Some of our new business people have to understand that there's a little bit, there's a, it's a little bit different than a normal website that we usually sell. But outside of that, I mean, we're just diving in. We're talking to as many developers as we can, learning as much as we can. The cool thing, again, we use a lot of craft CMS and because they, just in time for the .all conference, go, went ahead and enabled GraphQL. We spent some time learning our way through some basic GraphQL queries. And we're able to kind of take actually existing websites that we have and use them as a little bit of a playground because we've they have a lot of great content content and there's a lot of use cases we can kind of recreate with JavaScript front ends instead of, you know, how we would have done it with 
with Twig. And you guys mentioned Ben's uh, plugin, the update to Blitz. And for us, that's a that's going to be great. Where it's not exactly real, you know, real defined Jamstack, and that there's not really a lot of JavaScript and API stuff there, but it can start to give us a bridge to allow us to start using Netlify and to kind of allow us to start kind of dipping our toe into uh, what the static front ends could look like. We already have, you know, Blitz on some of the websites we do here anyway. So Mm -hmm. it'd be a matter of just kind of being able to lock up that back end or split it out. So so your next steps, you're telling me your next steps in this whole Jamstack adoption might be using Blitz and then having a craft CMS server somewhere on their internet or somewhere else. That would be your first kind of Jamstack that you've done for a client? Is that where you're kind of getting at? That's one That's one thing because we have existing clients that we're, we're trying to do maintenance or trying to optimize their sites over time. Right. The other thing though, and this is like great timing because <laughs> we, we had a client that uh, actually I think Mark did the website probably about three or four years ago in Craft 2. Mm-hmm. And they came back to us and said, well, we're growing. We're ready to rebrand the site because we're we're starting to get a more national feel to our brand. And we're like, well, let's take a look at their CMS and what they've done with it over the last few years. It'll be super easy to upgrade that to Craft 3, add GraphQL support, and turn that into a Jamstack site. And we actually could save this client some money by not having to you know rebuild the back end. So uh, actually, hopefully that'll be our first project. We just, we just ran that by the client today and we'll see what they say. Right. So in terms of the where you are on this whole roadmap of doing things, you've done your research, you're excited about it, you think it's a good idea, but you haven't you haven't done it yet. Yes. And there's a lot of things we still need to learn and a lot of things that we we think we had figured out that we have to refigure out again, but you kind of have to just keep doing that over time. And I think that's the annoying part of the process for some people is some people are like, I already know how to do this. You know, like I already know how to make an optimized image using my current stack. Do I want to relearn how to do all this? You know what I mean? Is is that something that uh, anyone else has run into, Sean? Oh, I, I was just going to comment on the migration piece. I'll just make a quick mention that actually a lot of, so the, the advantage of being a CDN first is that you can actually implement redirects and make it like just migrate parts of your site over just to, just to test out the experience before rolling it out to the full site. That's what Citrix did when they moved to the Jamstack and they have a talk about it at the, the recent New York conference that we had. So yeah, like, you know, the rest of your site can be a, a standard setup that whatever you, whatever you have running, but you just take your hottest paths, like the, the one that you think are going to be served the most and try to make those Jamstack and then serve from uh, a static asset provider. It doesn't have to be Netlify and see what the tech stack looks like, see what the development experience looks like, but then also look at the cost and it should go down. <laughs> so that's that's the that's the migration path that I would do for a large uh, sort of existing site. Yeah. I mean, what I was getting at before is just we have a lot of people that are very experienced at doing this kind of development. And Will, in your case, you have a number of people that work with you, right, in building mm-hmm. this stuff. Yeah. And so we have to, first we have to get into a mental place where we're like, okay, this sounds like fun or this sounds like something that is going to be worth doing, right? So you're already at the place where you think it's worth doing. How are you going to put that into effect in terms of, are you setting aside time every week to start getting up to speed on stuff or are you just going to bid out a project and figure it out as you go or do you have a do you have a plan for that yet 
so far, um, you know, we, we have been kind of putting a little bit of time aside for just for kind of some R&D and just kind of learning our way through mm-hmm. some of it. I and mean, we want to continue to do that. But yeah, we also need to make money. And, we, you know, for an agency, we have to make sure that we're continuing to keep everybody busy and all that stuff. So, uh, so what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to look at places where we could use it. And then as an agency, maybe we'll invest a little extra time on top of what we normally would have charged the client for. And, you know, we maybe maybe wind up eating a little bit of that cost, but it'll give us the time to kind of set us up ourselves up using, you know, a real world situation and being able to kind of, try, you know, figure out problems based on that project opposed to just kind of making our own tech demo or something. I'm curious to hear from anyone else who's done this and I'll, I'll get to where I am in this transition, I guess we can call it. But Matt, where are you in terms of this? Like, I know that you, you're always doing your little experiments. You're always, you know, coming up with a new formula for the soap that you make by hand and all that kind of stuff. But where are you in terms of, have you deployed any paying client sites on Netlify or using Jamstack on, on any paying client projects yet? Or are you still working on it from the exploration point of view? Or where, where are you at on this? And what's your plan? I'm using my own site as the test case. And the okay. goal is to be able to build a smallish like brochure like site exactly like mine, which is if you haven't been there updated very infrequently, there's not a lot of meat <laughs> on that bone. But it's a fairly <laughs> small site. Um, and it's a brochure site and I want to be able to build that instead of with craft and twig with craft and headless mode mm. using the jam stack with either Gatsby or Gridsome. So right now, right now my quest has been or the past like week and a half has been to rebuild that with Gatsby, but specifically not doing away with anything like no shortcuts, like no, okay, well I'll do without live preview for now, or I'll just forget about SEO for now, or forget about Jason LD or like no, at no place am I allowed to scale back anything. So mm. I have to build the equivalent. And I figure if I can do that for myself, who pays nothing but is very forgiving, then I can offer that for clients uh, responsibly. And I, it's it's convenient because as you kind of alluded to, I'm an expert at wasting my own time. And so I've done a little bit of you and I've touched like a little bit of each of the pieces and it just happens to be a convenient time to assemble them together. And so that's kind of helped accidentally put me on this trajectory. But I was going to launch it this morning and I have one issue to work out and then um, and I'll be pretty much done and pretty excited to be able to offer that for clients. Yeah. Well, I mean, you are infamous for touching lots of things, um, but in neat. Ter- what's that? Neat. I like the way you put that. Yeah. But creepy. <laughs> <laughs> But how are you approaching it from a relearning point of view? Or just saying, are you just saying, all right, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do this. Like I'm gonna spend this amount of time on this. Or is it more informal? Are you just kind of doing it as it comes? Do you have a structured plan for it? Or because there is oh, a lot no. of re, there's a lot of retraining and relearning involved here, right? It there is, and it, it's. I think the thing that's oriented me is I know exactly what the site is that I've built and rebuilt a thousand times. <laughs> um, and so I know it really well and I know what it has to do. I bleeped Careful it. Careful for I, our rating. I self bleeped. Okay. I self bleeped. You don't know what it was. <laughs> so I, I know it really, really well. And to have the picture of what it needs to be and know what the pieces are and even have like semi componentized the twig behind things. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm intimately acquainted with the site. And so having that as kind of a map of what this, it, this is what it needs to be. And then taking, I'm <laughs> learning to work with React, learning to work with Node a little bit, learning to work with Gatsby, learning to work with Netlify. Like I don't know any of these things, but I know what they have to end up doing and being and how they need to perform. Hmm. And so I'm basically taking that 
with not holding back at all. And it's just been a spree to try and build that thing um, using these pieces, GraphQL being another one. Um, but yeah, just having an exact goal in mind and knowing what it needs to look like is really helpful. Because if I took on like a new project with a new client or something and decided I was just going to make that, I could maybe pull it off, but it, it's much easier for me to translate something I know into something that's sure. made up of sure. and, then, a little bit. and that makes complete sense. I just want to give people a picture of what it looks like and I'll I'll get into what it looks like for for me as well. But one thing I do want to mention is that just because you are making a Jamstack website does not mean that you need to run craft in headless mode. And I'm sure you know this, Matt, but I'm mentioning it just for other people that may not know. When you run craft in headless mode, what you're doing is you're saying that nothing has a URL because you're saying that craft has nothing to do with routing, doesn't know anything about it. So it's just pure content with nothing at all to do with the structure of a site. You don't have to do that. You can build a Jamstack site that uses craft as a data source via GraphQL, and you can still have it, you can have it not be in headless mode. And the benefit that you get from there is that there are a number of plugins and other things that you can use from craft. So for instance, you mentioned SEO, you can use my SEOmatic plugin and you can just pull in the JSON LD and then you don't have to render it all yourself, right? That is a, a thing that you can do. I know, I know you've chosen not to do that. <laughs> not gonna get only into for it. science, Andrew. Only, only for science. I know, I know. It's fine, but I just want to mention that because a lot of people think, "Oh, I'm building this Jamstack thing. I have to have craft in headless mode." You may not, and there are some advantages to not having it in headless mode because then it can know something about. You can even have your Jamstack app can get its routing information from craft if you want, and there can be some benefits to that as well. Now, in terms of where I'm at, I'm currently building. I've tinkered around with all this stuff for forever on just dumb little side projects, but I'm working on a client project that is a Gatsby site for no reason. It doesn't have to be a Gatsby site, but I think that there will be some benefits to them and there are benefits to me too, because I'm doing a real world Gatsby project and pushing it to production. It's a website for a restaurant, which is normally pretty simple. I mean, really what you want is just, you want to know their hours. Are they open or not? Show me the menu, show me how to book reservations, right? I mean, that's really what's important for a restaurant uh, website. In their case, they will need a backend as well because they generate PDFs and, and then print them out of their menus. And they're a high-end restaurant, so their menu changes every day. So the fact that they have a CMS, which is the one place where they change the, the data so that what appears on the website is always exactly what ends up in the customer's hands in terms of a printed menu is super important. So I'm using Craft CMS on the back end for that and then using Gatsby on the front end. And what I've been doing for this is I decided, okay, this was a reasonable project to do it on. It would be nice from the point of view of, you know, there other than their menus, the website doesn't change a whole lot. There are only a couple pages to it. The deployment process really wouldn't be a big deal and probably never would be a big deal. And it would be a great project for me to to learn how to do this stuff and to learn some more of the pitfalls in terms of what works and what doesn't work. And I've really been enjoying, so Tailwind CSS is something that I use. I've really been enjoying using Emotion and styled components with Tailwind. I think that's been a really, really fun way for me to rebuild the site. And I've I've honestly really been enjoying it. My methodology is that I've been spending a bunch of time up front watching some, basically some instruction videos on React and on Gatsby. Just, you know, I want to have a real, real good feel for it. Again, I've tinkered around with all these things for a long time, but I'd like to feel really, really comfortable while I'm building this thing out uh, before I do it. So I'm spending way more time on this thing than 
I normally would, but that's fine because I always put aside time every day to do learning or to or do research. So, you know, it's fine for me to do this. Does anyone else want to share their experience, if, if not with Jamstack, then with something else in terms of how you approach learning the new thing? Because we all got to do it and we got to do it every day. You know, I know Jamstack is the new hotness, but I guarantee you five years will be something else. So I'll talk about how I'm planning on uh, implementing Jamstack where yeah. I'm at at good work and maybe just a little bit about my learning in general. We haven't built any production sites on the Jamstack yet. So I've built a couple of sites on the Jamstack, um, one for my workshop that I gave at Dot All and one or two sites before that. So nothing uh, for clients yet. The main reason for that being just uh, trying to get live preview and a few other things that are craft specific working and being as smooth as a traditional site. Um, so I'm planning on hopefully rebuilding our company site or uh, my personal site or something like that. And it very similar to what Matt's doing to kind of iron out those things and try to deal with some of those problems before we get into it on client work. Right. The, the more knowledge you can have about what things it adds or removes from the scope. So next time you go to estimate something, you know, right. oh, this is harder with this setup. This is easier. If you go in without knowing the trade-offs, you might have to bid it really high so that you can you know, have that padding in case you hit a weird problem or something that you don't know about. Or if you bid it maybe normally at a normal kind of traditional site rate, you might end up sinking some extra time into it. And if you're not ready to recoup that, that could be a problem. So yeah, but that's fine because you, you then chalk that up to R&D. Right. Right. Sure. Not everyone always has that flexibility. Sure. Um, well, I think you have to, though. I think you have to, because even if you if you run an agency or you're a freelancer or whatever, you, you have to be putting aside some time for right. learning stuff like you have. to. Yeah. Yeah. Not for sure. too much, though. <laughs> not, not, not like Matt. Don't do what Matt does, where he's 100 percent learning. <laughs> And then in general for learning, I usually start with the documentation. Hmm. Um, not everyone likes that, but I'll do a quick breeze of the documentation. Uh, maybe not top to bottom, but the important, uh, crucial, what I look like crucial pages. And then I try to find some sort of either blog series or tutorial that kind of walks through it. So either some videos, um, I love West Boss's courses. That's where I learned a lot of stuff, but obviously he does not have craft Jamstack courses, but, uh, right. try to find something you can kind of walk through and see how they're doing it. And then try to build something yourself. I think for me, that's how, how I like to learn. Yeah. And everyone learns in different ways, right? I mean, yeah. one of the reasons why I like, and I actually, I'm terrible about it because I'll buy these like training videos and I almost never finish them, like literally almost never. But for some things, I think it can be useful because it gives you an overview. And then once I have that kind of orientation overview, I just like to dive in and start playing around with code. Right. I, I don't go through the whole tutorial thing. Doesn't mean the way you're doing it's wrong. I'm just saying like everyone learns in a different way. Um, yeah. And that's why I, I enjoy the videos is they give me like this forest view of things so that at least I'm oriented right. And then I can just start hacking around and, and not break things uh, too terribly. Totally agree. That's uh, that's pretty much what I do too. Like I think the most I've made it through a course that I've bought is like 70% maybe because I'm just so hyped about it. And so, so I try bad. to jump into doing it and then I never come back to it. And I probably, it's probably all the bugs that I'm hitting are exactly what they're about to teach me, but I'll never know. Oh, it's so bad. Like all, all these, the and I'm not disparaging the the training sites because they are what they are, right? So you, you make out of them what you want to make out of them. But a lot of it is just like, it's just stuff that ends up in your closet, you know, stuff that looks really cool and you buy it 
head and then you just never do anything with it. But Will, what Sounds were you- like working though. You buy the video and you learn the thing. I guess. Maybe I feel guilty that I spent the money on the video. <laughs> and, then, and then that makes me, you know, do something with it. I, I've just, I've always found that I learn the best by doing. But if I have some kind of a, like a vague overview of how the thing works, I can save myself some some pain. But Will, what were you going to say? Going back to what Matt was saying before about trying to build a Jamstack site without losing anything. And Jake was talking about, you know, how do you kind of plan ahead and estimate? The one thing I am doing a little bit differently here is I've been, as we're kind of starting to plan things out for clients, been actually starting, it sounds bad, but we're getting a spreadsheet going of this is how we would have done it in a LAMP stack setup. And then having, comparing that to, okay, how am I going to solve this when we get to this in Jamstack? Mm. So thinking through form submissions, live preview for the things like that. We're trying to, start off with the things that we can pull, uh, remember from previous projects. And then I think we're just going to have to keep that going as we're starting to develop out sites. Just keep kind of this, how do we solve these things and how do we make sure that we are not missing anything? That's really funny. That What I've been doing is I use GitLab for everything and I, mm-hmm. I just treat myself like I, I'm managing the worst developer. <laughs> I just file <laughs> issues. Like I build a thing and then I file an issue about it and I leave notes with myself. It's kind of like two personalities. And then by the end of it, I've resolved the issue, but I learned how I broke it. And this is how I know um, I was not supposed to be a doctor. Um, <laughs> oh, but I do almost the same thing, but it's just kind of explorative of like learning why I broke that thing and then kind of like documenting it so that I have, you know, issues to close. But it's not a spreadsheet, but it's very similar. And I've, it's been really helpful for me. Right. Awesome. Well, you're far more organized than I am about this, Matt, but I think I'm far more ruthless than you in terms of only focusing on stuff that I think there's going to be a gain on it. And I think yeah. that and I think that this is something that a lot of people that own and run agencies or if they're freelancers, because free, okay, so the one commodity that we all have that is our most precious commodity is our time. How can you convince me that it's worth my time to, to pick this up and start doing stuff with it? And from, from my experience, having gone into this and in the middle of, admittedly, in the beginning, just in the middle of my first official client project using this setup, the developer experience is much nicer. I enjoy that a lot more. I really do. Even though I am fumbling around a little bit, you know, doing some stuff that I already, I used to know how to do it perfectly. And I, you know, I still have to look up the idiomatic way to do it in the the new stack that I've adopted. And there's a little bit of that, but the developer experience, like my happiness in building this thing so far has been better doing it that way. And I haven't run into any major issues yet. Now, I think I have the feeling that if it ended up being a super large scale site that potentially I could be running into some issues because I might be spending a whole lot of time optimizing the pipeline and doing all that kind of good stuff. But so far, I've been enjoying it is the the best thing that I can say about it. Will, are are you planning to do any projects like the Dixon Schwabble website, like maybe converting that over to a a Gatsby site or or whatever your target technology is and and approaching it from that point of view? I mean, we... That would involve getting, um, prob- probably getting people like Creative and our copywriters. When we do these type of things, we have to think about the investment that'll go into it. So if I did it on my free, my own free time, that'd be one thing. But no, no, no. if you did it uh, on your own free time, you'd be an idiot. <laughs> I know. I will, yeah. So, but um, but actually, so where we started with all this is we actually um, that was the first site that we enabled Graph GraphQL because right. uh, it's a craft site, and we just we enabled that. We put up put it up on its own VPS, a separate version of the 
the backend API. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that's where I've been playing around with this stuff the most. I took, you know, we have a whole section where we list out all the team members on the site. And it was super, it was super easy to just start there, relist them out through GraphQL. This was crazy. I, we, we started setting all the stuff up and because Jake had taught us everything in this workshop at the .all conference, I started with Gridsum and I I put together this Gridsum site and everything was going really well. And I was like, I just want to check out like how does this how's this work on Netlify? I signed up for Netlify uh, under their free plan. I linked up the GitHub repo and then I honestly within like 30 seconds the site was there. <sighs> I was blown away. I was like it all just worked. So advertisement uh, for Netlify. There you go, Sean. <laughs> but uh but no, so we'd like um, to thank our sponsor of the devmo.fm <laughs> podcast Netlify for sponsoring this web. No. Sorry. Uh, uh, oh yeah. Oh, I was oh, going to say, so that's, so that's as close as we've gotten to actually redesigning is just taking that API and kind of just doing my own version. And then Mark and I sat down together and we were learning the GraphQL stuff together. So we also use that as a way to share that with each other and to share that with the team too. Sean, can you confirm that you did not pay Will to make this statement? <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, yeah. I, I was a, I was a user of Netlify before, before I became an employee and like, yeah, the same, same sort of wow moment. And it's, it's pretty funny because like some of the Microsoft employees technically have a competing product with Azure's, Azure stuff. And then they're like, oh, wait, I didn't, I didn't mean to, oh, it's already deployed. You know, it's <laughs> too, too late. <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, I mean, you know, I think, I think that, that is actually becoming a commodity feature. The, 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 the sense that you should have a continuous deployment set up by default. And right. these things are unfortunately, you know they're they're not they're not the default in uh, some of the like sort of SSH type setups. Like you have to go wrangle that yourself, and we just believe in that. But like I, I think you absolutely like that's absolutely not exclusive to Netlify. Uh, AWS has a Netlify clone called Amplify. I don't think they're very happy with me calling it a Netlify clone, but the the name and the marketing copy is like very very similar. And, and like Zeit, like there's a bunch of people all like trying to move towards this thing, and it, it probably tells you that it's probably a good idea, right? Like it's right. not that it should be. Uh, the exclusive domain of any any particular hosting thing. It's just something that everyone should have. As long um, as you all are not trying to build perpetual motion machines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually I actually had a uh, uh, had a blog post about this. Like we're we're trying to like sort of also talk about this terminology as Git based workflow, where like everything lives in Git, right? And so and every commit generates a new deploy. You can revert your commit. You can revert your deploy just like you can revert your commit. You can put your content inside of Git and then you know version it together with your with your front end as well. And uh, that that has interesting properties for releasing new features and you know and that that that's very relevant for Netlify as well. So I, I you know I honestly I think I think the 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 sort of competition like once you once you accept that like a lot of different cloud hosting companies are all encouraging or moving towards some form of the Jamstack, then the then the sort of debate goes on to like what's next right like what is the next sort of area of like where where can life be easier we think it's you know like the the other two things that i that i talked about like the the build bot uh, which we're gonna announce some fun stuff next week uh for the jamstack actually actually by the time this airs this this will be out right so yeah go ahead you can do it uh, yeah so uh so so we're we're um making the build bot uh we're sort of rebuilding the build bot so it's pluggable and it's you can bring a lot more dynamic functionality like right now it's just like a, a, a giant bash script and you just like link up your site and it just does its thing but uh, we're going to make it programmatic and uh nice and you can 
you can bring in a bunch of things. So for example, something I worked on this week was 404 link checker. So if you have pages that just disappear, uh, we'll, we'll detect that for you. We can fill your build and warn you and not let you go until you designate a redirect for it, right? So you, so theoretically, you'll never have a broken page link again. Now, does the um, build bot build itself? <laughs> no, it doesn't have to. It's just, um, <clears throat> it's just a tool to for for people to hook into. Well, what is the build uh, bot built using? For what oh, language? Uh, no, no JS. So okay. previously it was a giant bash script and very unmaintainable, uh, but now oh we my can. God, giant bash scripts are the worst. <laughs> the worst. I mean, you know, for for us it worked for like four years. So you know, if it if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But for for uh, I think we're, we're at a point now where we want people to be able to do more custom stuff with the build, uh, and right. that's why that's why we're doing that the new build bot things. So yeah, like another another thing like automatically run lighthouse and accessibility checks on on completion, on like kick off some other automated workflow that are coinciding with the builds or before the build actually happens. So like stuff like that, like smart caching for incremental builds, like all, all of this will be possible with the more sort of programmatic build bot. And obviously it's in JavaScript because JavaScript is the top language <laughs> for everybody. So yeah, so that's a, that's a very nice thing. And then and then the other thing is the local dev stuff where why why do you have to interact with the, why do you have to like sort of interact with the platform at all? Why don't, why not just run everything locally uh, so you have a faster iteration cycle? So those are the stuff that like Nullify is betting on. There's other stuff as well like on the CDN space that that we're also investigating. Yeah, but I mean that you know I, I think I think uh, it's 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 always nice to hear like that people appreciate like you know the core functionality like even today like I, I I still hear people interested in like the drag and drop functionality where you can just drag a folder from your desktop to Netlify and it instantly deploys because it's just uploading files. All right, um, all right, that- all right, all right, Sean. We sure. Netlify didn't pay us that much. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I, I was just, I was just like, yeah, like this, that, that, that sort of smile, smile moment. I call it. No, I know, and I, and I think it's fantastic. So I'm, I'm, I'm definitely just kidding you, and I, and I think it's amazing because you're a smart guy, and the fact that you are this enthusiastic about it tells me that you know there's something, there's something there to nerd out to. But uh, Matt, you had something that you wanted to get in there. I just had a dinosaur question. Well, I, I unraised my. Oh, how do we validate HTML now that it's full of all kinds of junk? You run it through the HTML, the WC3 validator. Yeah, try that. Take a Gatsby site. Take your emotion mm-hmm. and try that. Okay. Let me know what happens. Is it going to toy with my emotions when I do it? It's going to say you can. Nice. Nice. <laughs> it's going to, I, it's, it has a bunch of weird junk in it that it doesn't like. And I know that some of the weird junk is okay because it's just new, but this is, this me doing this right now is why I unraised my hand. I'm not sure. The, the thing okay. is like, what is like the browsers behave differently from the spec, right? Which is kind yeah. of. <laughs> like, what do you build to the spec or do you build to the browser? So <laughs> I use, well, I, I run everything through, I guess, a spec validator just, you know, for fun. Right. And I, I think we, we need and to have these kind of neutral standards. And you're right. I mean, there is some deviation, but still, I, I do think it is useful to run this stuff through the validators. But it, it could also be a case where the validator just isn't up to speed. I don't know. I haven't looked at it. I haven't looked at the kind of errors that it that it throws when you try to validate it. But, you know, let, let me, Will, what you were mentioning before is that you would have to get the content authors involved and stuff like that. Now, I mean, what I'm suggesting is you rebuild the Dixon Schwabble website just doing what Matt's doing, which is like you keep the back end where it is, you keep the content where it is, but you start building the front end in view templates because you want to use Gridsome to build it. I mean, is that something that you've considered doing as an approach just to get the whole team knowing how to do this so that when you approach a client 
you can feel confident that you can build the thing? I'd love to say that that's what we would be doing, but there's so many templates and pieces to that site. Rebuilding the whole thing is probably not anywhere close to an option, but that's why we're that's why we're doing kind of something on the side that nobody's going to see other than us, but it is, does give us a chance to try some of this technology out. So we're, I mean, at this point, with the, what we've tried out, I think we feel pretty confident in at least a lot of the basic things. Now it's just a matter of figuring out some of those, I don't know, like, Again, form submissions and right. things like that. Well, you don't so. you don't have to build it like page for page, right? And, no, and, and sure. in fact, you know, don't don't mention this to anyone at, at Dixon Schwabel, but maybe the site could be simplified a little bit anyway. <laughs> you know, and it, <laughs> and, you're not wrong. <laughs> and, and it and it might benefit from simplifying it. So just use the CMS as a content source. Yeah, I, I do think that's a really good way to start, though. Yeah, I mean, again, if I guess that's how we would. If, if we had the time and if we if we couldn't as an agency invest that kind of time into it that'd be great but um right. that'd be a great place to start and i think anybody in like matt's situation i think that really is a good way to get in, to get your head around some of this stuff work out the kinks in your your own company's personal uh, workflow and then again if you're working with a team like us that that gives you a chance to get the whole team on board wow. so I, I think that's great i mean will i don't see in, us doing that right now well in fairness no one is in matt's situation i mean in in theory <laughs> i am well you are but what i'm saying is that in theory he moved from one state to another state i would use the word fled from one state to another state <laughs> so we don't necessarily want to be putting putting people into into matt's situation here you know <laughs> But I think this is a smart way to do it. You know, I've considered doing the same thing. Like, I I think the next iteration of my site, the NY Studio site, I think it's probably going to be a Gatsby site. And I've considered, you know, or maybe Gridsome or maybe Sapper, you know, maybe I would just pick something different just to get a feel for how that flavor of the thing works doing it that way. And I think that's a smart way to do it, right? Because you already, you already you have a reference, you know exactly what it's going to be, and you have all the data there. So all you have to do is build the front end thing, you know, and, and I think that's a pretty smart way to do it well it, what's nice is you also don't have to jump all the way there you right. can we don't even know exactly what jamstack is it's very clear you know where where does the javascript have to i mean earlier in this conversation nobody's willing to say exactly <laughs> which pieces you need of it so who cares just take one of the lumps of jam yeah. and you know maybe it's doing something <laughs> in your site with a little bit of graphql maybe it's building something in view when you haven't done that before yeah. like so it's you can more just of take a, little bits and pieces so it's more of a chutney <laughs> it can be whatever you want because it has no clear definition <laughs> <laughs> so just work up to it. Like you, like you don't have to change frameworks. That's one of the things I like is you can yeah. just take one of the things from this this grand promise of Jamstack that we're all very excited about and just take one of those things and use it in what you're doing. And once you've, I don't know, collected enough of them, then make your jam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I feel like I have to come back. I have to go back and see if I can figure out something that fits the chutney acronym. I'm sure I can find something, right? <laughs> it's going to be tricky. It's going to be hard though. Yeah. There's no J in there. Yeah. There's no J. There's also a lot of letters. Yeah. So talking about kind of a combination of taking just one of the pieces of the Jamstack and also with what you asked Will earlier is how do you, what projects are you going to be working on this? And then reworking a twig template into a view template might take a lot more work than, or a lot of work to do that depending on how complicated it is. Mm. That's why I, like when Will mentioned to me about Blitz's, Blitz 3.0's new potential ability to work with Netlify, I think in my mind for some of the projects that we have, that's a nice like a nice step or like intermediate step. So where you're using part of the Jamstack and you're being able to leverage Netlify and um, provide some benefit 
to the client without having to really invest all that those hours into rewriting all of those templates. Mm-hmm. So you still get some of the benefits, but without clients are so conscientious of cost and without having to spend those hours in that cost and potentially being able to reduce their server costs all along the way going through that. So to me, that seems like it could work for some of our clients. And then, you know, maybe some newer sites says we're going and doing newer sites, that's where look at the full Jamstack and using all the pieces. And I'm not saying that Dixon Schwabble does this, but I've seen some other agencies that have done this where they'll have a corporate website and, you know, maybe they're going to be on the Today Show or they're going to be this or they're that. Instead of spending the time to then build a performance site that can scale, you know, maybe using static caching or varnish or, you know, whatever, they'll just go in and they'll just crank up the server. (laughs) They'll be like Linode or DigitalOcean. What's your biggest server? Okay, I'll take that. You know, or they'll do and not even if they're appearing on a particular show, if they just have a lot of traffic instead of trying to optimize the DevOps part of it, because maybe that's not their thing. Maybe that's not their speciality. They do a load balancer, for instance, to do it. And the the cost can be pretty high when you start getting up there. So you're right that if you instead then adopted the Jamstack model and just deployed your static HTML, I mean, that at least is going to solve your concurrency problem. It is not necessarily going to solve your your web web page speed problem, but it definitely will solve the concurrency problem and it will certainly make the time to first bite better. So that's probably a nice business case for doing it as well, I think. Yeah, I mean sure. that's traditionally what a CDN does, right? Like yeah. you put a CDN in front of your server yeah. uh, if you it you know helps for, with everything like DDoSing, uh, serving from the local nearest point of presence. So yeah, why not just deliver straight deliver files straight to the CDN? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. like if someone threatens to DDoS you, you just kind of laugh. I'm like, all right, go ahead, good luck, <laughs> <laughs> try it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you guys, somebody said it's about kind of consolidating or, or putting, you know, putting a lot of things uh, together that, that, you know, you spend a lot of time on. And it's, you know, when, with, with the type of sites, and I'm sure you guys are in the same boat, that what we do, it gets more complicated and more complicated. So it also mm-hmm. kind of helps pull everything down to, uh, you know, you're starting off with, again, things that come out of the box that help you get these things done quicker. And then you're spending more time, you know, writing out, Right. Cooler features or making more pages or sections that simplify. Yeah. Simplify. Simplify things because the, the amount of stuff that you could need to know potentially as a web developer is ridiculous from DevOps to, you know, bash to PHP to front end templating language, JavaScript, JavaScript framework. Like it's crazy, right? So if we can then eliminate some of that so that you can focus your learning on a smaller subset of it, you're going to have more time available to you to focus on solving your client's problem and making your time, you making sure the time that you spend is as tightly focused on where you bring the most value. And you probably don't bring the most value in editing like a PHP.ini file somewhere. And yeah, not, and not that many people like doing that either. You know, I mean, there are probably a couple, there are probably a couple out there that enjoy doing that, but not many, I don't <laughs> think, you know. And I think, Mark, you mentioned something like that before where you were just like, yeah, you know, some of the time that I got to spend is just making sure this this stupid server works for my client. And that's not what I signed up for. Like I signed up to make stuff. Right. Yeah. The working with servers is something I've learned along the way. And it's always been a little bit daunting to me just because it seems like super back end in my mind. Right. 
as I've gotten used to it, you know, well, Mark, you start to- Mark, I got a question for you. I got to interrupt you on this. Would uh-huh. you go to a doctor that said, I kind of learned it along the way. I learned that doctoring along the way. No. Right. So, <laughs> right. And and you, and the doctor would probably feel the same way, right? So, from from that perspective, why, why would we want to make developers learn this stuff? You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> That's a fun analogy. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, and and clients don't really come to us because that we that we are good at keeping servers up and running. Right. I mean, they come to us because they have a business goal in mind, and they need to use their marketing dollars to achieve that. Right. Like, at least for what we do, you know, that's usually the case. So, so if you if you say we're going to spend 40 percent less on maintaining your server. But, you know, we're going to be able to add these other pages for about the same amount of money. I think they'll love to hear that. Yeah. And from some of these older businesses, from their point of view, they've never had like a magazine ad or a television ad that required server maintenance. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. No one ever DDoSed their, their ad that they put out in the local newspaper, you know? So from their kind of mentality, like some of this is a little bit a little bit weird and a little bit foreign in terms of where sure. they got to spend the money on this stuff. Marion, you still awake over there? Oh my goodness. Marion? I am. Oh my. Yes, I am. So you, you she got I just, I, and and we appreciate it because the clocks have probably gone off about 50 times because this is a super long yeah. episode. Um, but you just missed them. I know. See, I've got my timing. I got my timing down. You got anything that you want to add there? Because I think we're, we're kind of winding down on this thing. It's, it's fun stuff. It's, it's neat new stuff to learn. Mm-hmm. So I'm enthused. And I did. That is something that I focused on a little bit on my talk was that, yeah, I know this is new stuff to learn. And I know that, you know, there is some learning fatigue that can end up happening. But the things that I think make you a really good programmer are not that you know where the quotes go and where the colons go, right? I think the things that make you a good programmer are that you know how to deconstruct problems, that you know how to architect things, you know, and these are problems that, or these are skills that really transition no matter what language you're using, no matter what framework you're using, no matter what stack you're using. And it can be a little bit annoying to have to relearn the details, but it's, it's really not that bad. You know, it's, I kind of liken it to, if you know how to drive, but I dropped you in the middle of a foreign city, at first you'd be lost, right? You still know how to drive, but you you can't get around, but it's not going to take you that long to learn enough to be able to get around. Totally. Yeah. I mean, this is an, it's more of an architecture talk than a, than a uh, specific technology conversation. Right. So at least knowing, having this in your tool set and going like, okay, I know when to use this. I think that is the best thing you can take away from this conversation. So yeah. And don't be intimidated, you know, go ahead, Mary. Yeah. I do think that if you move into this, I'm going all in on the Jamstack world. You are also saying I'm going all in on the programming Mm. that, uh, and you get to give up some of the non-programming complexities, but in in return for that, it really is all programming. And that can be great if that's what you like and that's what you're good at and, right. and uh, that's who you can hire or people who are good at that, then great. And if that's not your that's not your jam, then, you know, there are other things <laughs> nice. to do in the world. I see Ma- what Mary, you did there. Can I get you to clarify what you mean by non-programming complexities? Are you, are you talking about like configuring CM, craft CMS or something like that? Oh, let's see. Some of the complexities that we're talking about losing. I mean, editing the php.ini file. Hmm. is a complexity and it's not a programming skill particularly. It's config. It's config, yeah. but it's not 
it's a different sort of, it feels to me like it's kind of a different sort of thing. And, and all of that maintaining server stuff, that's mm-hmm. sort of IT sort of stuff. And it's mm-hmm. related, but it's not really the same thing. And if the whole HTML, CSS part of it gets gets to be less of, of what's happening, then, you know, people who are good at that, which are, it's writing good HTML is related to programming, but it isn't really the same. And kind of the same with CSS. I mean, things are transferable from one programming language to another, but if your programming language that you're you know, best and most native in is CSS, that does not really translate straight over to JavaScript. That is true. That is definitely a good point, Marion, in, in that people that were building sites using just HTML, CSS, and maybe a little bit of JavaScript to like animated div or whatever. And then they've gone on to learn some other front end templating language, like maybe Twig or yeah, Antlers, I think, for Statamic and Blade for Laravel or whatever. I, I get it. I mean, I agree. Like It is a little bit of a, a leap in terms of that you're going to have to learn more the programmatic stuff. The other thing that I do think think is kind of cool about the Jamstack ecosystem is that because of the size of it, because of just this mass of people that use JavaScript, a lot of the design tools are integrating with with JavaScript and with React and with Vue and some of these other things where you can use like Figma and uh, what is it? Framer, I think is another one. A whole bunch of these tools that then if your skill is more visual, I mean, you can participate in this jam too, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. This is so terrible. But we've been doing this for so long that I lost (laughs) my little thing. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, Andrew. You're listening to this now, and you're going to have to edit this out, and you're going to be angry. (laughs) You never edit out the... the, uh Oh, the yes. things that we get wrong, do you? Oh, yes, I do. Oh, my God. You have <laughs> okay, no idea. you've been, you've been the, saved. No, no, no. One, one of the things that I have thought about doing is I may I may make an episode, maybe for April 4th, that is everything that I cut out of an episode. <laughs> and I'm just going to put it together, and it's going to be called the umisode, because it's going to be like, um, ah, uh, you know, like, all that kind of stuff. Like, trust me. I edit stuff uh, out. Okay. I really do. But thank you, everyone, for coming on. I think this discussion has been fantastic, but that's... That about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. If you'd like to have every episode delivered to your favorite player, you can subscribe via RSS or find us on iTunes or Google Play. And if you like what you're doing, please review the show on iTunes. It's the best way for it to help others find the show. You can also follow us on Twitter at devmode.fm. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Leave us a comment on the devmode.fm website where we can continue the conversation. For the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Jen Bloomberg. I'm Marian Nulevant. I'm Matt Stein. I'm Patrick Harrington. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I really want to thank our, our guests for coming on. So, uh, Will and, and Mark from Dixon Schwabel, thanks for coming on, you two. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. And Sean from Netlify, really appreciate you sitting in on with us. Yeah, thank you. Spread the jam. Yeah. And, <laughs> oh my God. Uh, and Jam Jamstack Jake, thank you for coming on from Good Work. Thank you for having me. This is going to be the absolute worst in terms of editing for me. <laughs> <laughs> Most edited episode.
brought to you by big old panel. I really, because it, it's going to be so long, and I know I'm just, I'm just going to be so angry. By the time I get to this part that I'm saying right now, I'm going to be in a rage. <laughs> I mean, we went two hours, so you can probably get like 30 minutes of good content out of there. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> so solid. At, at least. But no, I mean, you make sure. This is a big Can you make sure you.